We should be good to go. Very good. So Mark chapter 14, verses 42 through 53. If you don't have, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got plenty in the back. And all you have to do is slip your hand up and someone will be glad to bring you a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just slip your hand up and we will get you a copy of God's Word. In addition to that, if it hasn't already happened, um, the threes and fours are dismissed to their classes if that has not already happened. Um, Very good. All right, so Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 52. So as we continue along in this journey that Jesus is making toward the cross, we come to this scene this morning. Last week we saw Jesus in agony in the prayer, in his prayer, in the garden of Gethsemane. We saw Jesus suffering the depth of human emotion. We saw Jesus suffering as he contemplated what it meant for him to drink the cup of God's wrath. And today, this morning, we take the next step in Jesus' journey towards Calvary. And in the same way as last week, we just have to admit that when we embark on such huge texts, when we embark on such weighty and, and just, just, just huge sacred text, we must be dependent on Jesus himself, on the spirit of Christ himself to show us, to take us into the garden with him and show us what is really happening. We must depend on Jesus himself to show us what it meant for him to be betrayed. His betrayal, that's what we're talking about this morning. Jesus' the, the betrayal of Jesus. So when we say, when I say the word betrayal, I want you to just like think about what you think about when you think about the word betrayal or to be betrayed. This morning, my guitar betrayed me big time <laughs> in lots of ways. My guitar betrayed me. It's fine, but you betrayed me. Uh, maybe you think about, mommy, when I, when I read the word betrayed and I was thinking about what it meant to, for betrayal to happen, my brain went automatically to elementary school when we learned about Benedict Cumberbatch. Not Benedict Cumberbatch, sorry. <laughs> Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold, not the Cumberbatch. He, uh, I'm sure he's betrayed people before. But Benedict Arnold. Uh, <laughs> Benedict Arnold, the most infamous... <laughs> betrayer, traitor in American, or probably the history of the world, if, you're, if your brain is like me, you might think of Cumberbatch, you might think of Arnold, but you might also think of someone like, I don't know, maybe somebody who coached LSU football, then went to the NFL, then came back and coached arch-rival Alabama Crimson Tide. We're talking about Nick Saban. Maybe you think of that betrayal. But this morning... In our journey towards Calvary, we see the most grievous and heinous betrayal that this world has ever seen. In the history of the world, there has never been betrayal like there was in this moment. So let's read this account and then pray that the Spirit of Christ himself would help us and accompany us this morning. Mark 14, starting in verse 43. And immediately, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him 
a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck his servant, or struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Verse 50, and they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray for God's help this morning. Lord, we confess uh, we confess our need for you this morning. We confess our inability to see the truth of the scriptures apart from your spirit working. So we pray right now, Lord, that we would depend on the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to open up our eyes to see the truth of scripture. That you would open up our ears to hear the truth that you would have for us in your word and you would open up our hearts to apply that word to our hearts and apply Christ to us. Lord, I pray for me as I'm preaching that you would help me be self-forgetful, to not care or not be concerned about how I'm perceived, but to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The hour has come. The hour has come. The Son of Man, Jesus, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Betrayed, sold out, seized, arrested. In fact, if you were paying attention while I was reading this text, uh, or if you, you might have caught it, the word seized kind of rang through like, like a like a like a, like a drum. It just hit. Verse 44, Judas says, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. Verse 46, and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Verse 49, Jesus says, day after day I was with you in the temple and you did not seize me. And then 51, talking about the man, it says, and they seized him. Betrayed. Seized. In our text this morning, much like last week, we're going to see three ways in which Jesus was betrayed, and then we're going to look at three lessons that we learn from the betrayal of Jesus. So first, three ways in which Jesus was betrayed. Number one, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. As we finish, or as Jesus finished his prayer 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. His final words, look with me at verse 42 of chapter 14. He says, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Verse 43, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12. Mark identifies who the betrayer is. We already know, we already know who the betrayer is because we just literally verses before Randy preached a couple weeks ago that Judas would indeed betray Jesus. But immediately from the beginning of this narrative, we are reminded of the very uncomfortable reality that the betrayer of Jesus was one of the 12. Judas, the main betrayer, was one of Jesus's trusted followers. It was Judas who initially followed Jesus. It was Judas who shared life with Jesus. It was this Judas who shared the Last Supper with Jesus, who did ministry with Jesus. It was this Judas who reclined against Jesus and shared a dish with him at that final supper. And it was this Jesus, one of the twelve, that betrays, or this Judas, one of the twelve, that betrays betrays Jesus, that sells his whereabouts for some money. And Judas leads a cohort of people to come and arrest Jesus. And this cohort, this arresting party, Judas has a prearranged sign with them. He says, hey, pay attention to this sign. This is how you know who it is that is going, that we need to arrest. Verse 44, it says, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. So Judas approaches the man he once followed. Judas approaches the man who loved him, who called to follow him, and greets him with a prearranged sign. What was it? A kiss. In this cultural moment, more so than ours, a kiss was a sign of honor. Uh, a kiss was, I mean, it was customary. We saw in the Old Testament that Israelites would greet one another with an honoring kiss. We even see in the New Testament, in, the, in Romans, he says, and other epistles, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But here, Judas does not just greet Jesus with a kiss. And, and this is, I don't know, I mean, I, I took Greek in seminary, and the only thing that I still use is vocabulary. So here we go. Here's a little bit of vocabulary for you. The, the, the word that Mark uses uh, for kiss here in the original language is not the normal word that we get for kiss. It's not, like an, it's not just a, a kiss of greeting or an honoring kiss. But this word that Mark uses here, it, it, it portrays like a passionate or a lavishing or a, a, a deeply tender a deeply affectionate kiss that people would share with one another. This is the same word that Luke in the parable of the prodigal son uses. When the prodigal son returns home, we read Luke 15, verse 20, and he came, or, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him with deep emotion, compassion, and Judas, Judas chose this sign to betray Jesus. 
And when I read verse 45, man, it is so, it's so horrific. All that our Savior endured, the betrayal that Jesus endured. Read, read, just read, I mean, listen as I read verse 45. And when he, that being Judas, came, he went up to him at once and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Judas says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, my great one, is what it translates to. Judas, here, under the gauze, under the disguise of honor, under the disguise of respect, commits treason against the Son of God. Commoner James Edwards says this of this moment. An act of love is performed for the mission of hate. Whatever else the significance of the betrayal kiss, this gesture, along with the honorific title, Rabbi, makes a burlesque or an absolute parody of Jesus. He makes it a comedy to him. The manner of betrayal becomes the first example of mockery of Jesus, which will play a key role in the crucifixion narrative of chapter 15. Can you feel the mocking that endured here between Judas to Jesus? And as I was studying this morning, this, this complex character that is Judas, I was just blown away by the actions that he does. And I was reminded, I was reminded, the Spirit reminded me of, of Jesus's probably the most scary words we read in Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Rabbi, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Rabbi, Rabbi, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. You don't have to wait till the end to see that play out between Jesus to Judas. You're calling me rabbi. I don't know you. This, this mission of, or this sign of love executes a mission of hate towards Jesus. I don't know you, Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus first. But now the second way that Jesus was betrayed in this text. Number two, Jesus was betrayed by the Jews. Jesus was betrayed by Jews. Remember this cohort of the arresting party that, G that Judas brings about. Listen to verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Verse 43 says, here's Jesus alone, praying in the garden alone, and here comes a crowd. But, oh, we don't need to make much of, we don't need to like make much of how big the, the size of the crowd was, but all, I mean, it's big enough for Mark to say it was a multitude, a multitude of people that came to overwhelm Jesus in this moment. And who were these people? Who made up the arresting party? Verse 43 says what? Chief priests, 
scribes, and elders. These three parties, chief priests, scribes, elders, made up the Sanhedrin in, in, in Judaism. That being the highest symbol of Jewish religion. I want you to listen to that again. Priests, scribes, elders made up the militant cohort that arrested Jesus. Not thieves, not robbers, not people who had, who had done crazy things in their past and were wanted for militant, you know, uh, mob, mob mentality. No, no, no. These were Jewish elite, religious Jews, high-ranking Jews at that. Men who devoted their time to reading, studying, proclaiming Old Testament scripture. Men who devoted their time to prescribing sacrifices or overseeing the sacrifices that were prescribed in the Old Testament made in the temple, these were the men who were complicit in the arrest of Christ. Men who devoted themselves to interpreting Old Testament prophecies. The irony here, men who devoted themselves to interpreting Old Testament prophecies about a coming Messiah seized the Messiah that they studied was coming. Men who, who were the people of the promise missed and seized the promised one. These were the men who arrested our Lord. And I, I have to wonder. I mean, I just, my brain just started going as I was preparing. I have to wonder that if any of these Jews who were in this arresting party were there that day in Acts 3 to hear Peter's sermon. After Peter heals, or the Spirit of Christ through Peter heals a lame man. This is what Peter takes advantage of the moment knows that there's Jews around, religious elite around, and Peter stands up and says this, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us, though by our own power or piety we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, Verse 14, who you, and you denied the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. I hope and pray that some of these men who arrested Jesus or in this crowd, and repented and believed. What a glorious, what a glorious thing to just think about. And these men came with swords and clubs. Traditional, traditional weapons, uh, traditional Jewish weapons at this time, swords and clubs, they came armed with their weapon of choice, and under the leadership of Judas, they come at the most convenient time for them, Judas tells them, hey, Jesus is going to be alone at this moment. It's going to be at night. And remember, the, fe- the, the, the Passover festival is happening. So there's a lot of people in town. So, so Judas tells them, hey, come at this time, at this place. William Lane says this, Judas's betrayal to the Jewish hierarchy made it clear the time and place where Jesus can most conveniently be taken into custody without a commotion. Verse 46. And they laid hands on him and seized him. 
verse 47. And one of those who stood out, who stood by, drew out a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Mark here does not make, he doesn't identify who this guy is who whips out his sword and cuts off one of the dude's ears. John tells us that it's Peter, but we won't dwell on that because it's not in our text. And as the Jews are laying their hands and seizing Jesus to arrest him, listen to Jesus' response to them. Follow along, verse 48. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber? With swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me then. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. I, can, I mean, I can, I can sense divine sarcasm from Jesus at this moment. Are you serious? I was with you all the time in the middle of the day teaching. And you didn't say, I mean, you like said things, but you didn't, you didn't come at me like this. Why are you treating me like a, who am I, a robber, a criminal? Am I leading, uh, the, the NIV says, am I leading a rebellion? I mean, you can just sense the overkill in this moment, can't you, from the Jewish elite. Here, it's at night, like, they come to him, Jesus is alone, and they come with weapons and force. They come under the cover of, of darkness with weapons drawn and a mob to take him away. William Lane, once again, comments this. The contrast between the surprise armed attack by night and Jesus' daily appearance in the temple indicates that the precautions taken by the auxiliary police were unwarranted and unnecessary. While the affirmation, I was daily with you in the temple, demonstrates that Jesus' captors were indeed Jewish. It's clear what's happening. Verse 49, at the end of, I mean, Jesus confronts the Jews. Last thing he says to them is what? But let the scriptures be fulfilled. The scriptures be fulfilled. It it had to happen this way. And you're, you might be asking yourself, what scriptures is Jesus talking about? Well, the suffering servant songs of Isaiah 53 are, are going to be shown time after time in Mark. And, and, and listen to Isaiah 53:12. It says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, here it is, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is just the beginning of Jesus being treated or, or being numbered with the transgressors. Although done nothing wrong, although sinless, arrested as a robber, treated as a criminal, put to death as an outlaw, Oh, indeed, he was betrayed by his people, the Jews. The third and final way that Jesus was betrayed. Number three, Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. We talked a lot about this last week. But Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. After these two previous unbelievable betrayals, perhaps the most painful one that we read is in verse 50. When, when it says... Verse 50, and they all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. Not a single person was there. 
Well, this verse carries so much weight to it. The very disciples who said, that's never going to happen. Guess what? It happened. The very disciples who in Mark 14, 23, who all drank the cup at the Lord's Supper. The very disciples who in Mark 14, 31, all said that they would not deny him. Those very disciples all left him and fled. They all betrayed him. And that point is highlighted in the last two verses of our text, verse 51 and 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Recorded here at the end of our text is kind of a strange, we might think, ending. We don't see this in any other of the betrayal scenes in the Gospels. This is the only time in the Gospels that that this scene is included. And here we have the first recorded streaker in human history. I was make sure to say that. I bolded that. I wanted to say that. Uh, we have the first recorded streaker in human history, and and this serves as a conclusion to the disciples' betrayal. He focuses on this unnamed, unidentified follower. There's been many skeptics who have tried to figure out who that person is, but it doesn't tell us, so we're not going to go into that. But the only details that we read is that what the only thing he was wearing was a linen cloth. You might be asking yourself. Why does that matter? I think it matters. See, normally there were two garments that people would wear in this time. You had an outer garment and you had an inner garment. And usually the outer garment was made of wool. Like, was, you know, think of wool. It's not the most, like, um, it's not the most prestigious thing to wear, right? It's, it's just wool. So this young man is only wearing one garment. And it's made not of wool, but of what? Fine linen. First of all, this shows that this dude came from wealth. This guy came, he had money. He came from, from a wealthy family. And usually, like I said, that meant that there was an inner garment or an undergarment. Theologians make the point that the absence of a second garment, of an undergarment, indicates that he was in his home and he dressed in a hurry to go follow Jesus. He dressed hastily. From, he was in his hometown, Jerusalem. He dressed hastily, just put on his fine linen garment, and ran out to follow Jesus. He had every intention to follow Jesus that night, excited to do so. He couldn't even get dressed all the way. He just put on whatever was around. But even he, when Jesus was betrayed, when the mocking began, ran away naked. We don't know who this is, but we do know that this man represents, because he's nameless, represents all the disciples, all of those who followed Jesus initially. When mayhem broke out, when betrayal happens, they all ran away, even if it meant public shame, (laughs) even if it meant running away naked, so desperate to get away from Jesus, so desperate not to be associated with Jesus in this moment, that this individual would rather run through the streets of his hometown naked than be associated with Jesus. But there's something even more happening in this moment with this unnamed man. This wealthy, unknown, streaking individual. In the, book of the Old, in the Old Testament book of Amos, not a book that we go to too much, but in the Old Testament book of Amos, the Lord is proclaiming judgment upon both the surrounding nations of, like, the surrounding nations surrounding Israel and upon Israel itself for their sins. 
And in Amos chapter 2, in God's own judgment against his people, we read of terrible judgment because of their sin. And listen to this prophecy, or listen to this, 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 this prophecy against the people. It says, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty, he who is the mightiest, shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. William Lane insightfully comments when he says, the arrest of Jesus invites the crushing judgment announced by Amos, and not even the valiant, not even the mightiest, shall be able to withstand that day. And the point that we made last week, in Jesus' agony and prayer, is now still ringing true, and it's ringing true even more. As Jesus makes his way towards Calvary to die for us, to die for sin and sinners, it's clear that Jesus is doing so alone. All fled. Now Jesus was in the custody of the temple police, arrested alone. Not even this man of great wealth, not even this man who was excited to follow Jesus and all he could put on was his outer garment, who had every intention to follow Jesus excitedly, not even him. Not Peter, no one. Betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve. Betrayed by his own people, the Jews. Betrayed by his closest friends, the rest of the eleven disciples. His family's not there with him, they think he's crazy. Arrested. And that's where we are in the story of Jesus toward the cross. That's where he leaves us. Jesus in the custody of the temple police, betrayed by everyone who, who knows him. So now, what lessons can we learn when we look at the betrayal of Jesus here in this story? There's lots of lessons we can learn. We could sit here for the rest of the afternoon and draw out lessons, and it'll be a great time of study. But while we're doing that, let me just, let me just call out three. Three lessons that we can learn from the betrayal of Jesus. Number one, we have all betrayed Jesus. We all have betrayed Jesus. The story of mankind's betrayal, the story of mankind's rebellion does not start in this garden. The story of mankind's betrayal and rebellion starts in the first garden. In the garden of Eden, and it rings through Every, it's in the heartbeat of every, every page of the Bible until, I mean, every page of the Bible until we see Jesus redeem and reconcile. So what do Adam and Eve do? The Satan, the deceiver, he says, do you want to be like God? Do you want to be like God? You want to, you want to think like he thinks and be like him? Well, you know what you got to do? You got to betray him to be like him. I know he said his way is best, but if you want to be like God, betray him and you'll be like God. And what do they do? They betray God. The thing that they, that, G, that God said, if you do this thing, you're going to die. They said, I'll choose death. I'll choose death over life. Sure. And we learn in Romans 5, and we see for the rest of the Old Testament that disobedience had crushing consequences. Ligon Duncan says, so easy a thing we think the fruit, eating of the fruit is. I forgot the quote. But so hard and undoing is what he says. So easy and simple a thing we think, but so hard in undoing it. It took Christ. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> because of sin and disobedience, 
I have betrayed Jesus. I have betrayed Jesus. You have betrayed Jesus. All of us have looked at our sin, and and we've chosen the created thing rather than the creator of all things. All of us have sought our own little kingdoms. All of us have sought, have, have looked at Christ's kingdom of repent and believe and said, eh, I'll have my own way. My kingdom, my will, not yours. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Listen, it was was my betrayal that caused Jesus so much agony in drinking of the cup. It It was our betrayal that caused him to sweat drops of blood caused him to be arrested and suffer. But he did it. He suffered. He, even in all of our betrayal, Jesus does not forsake the plan. In all of our betrayal, he makes his way toward the cross to save us from our betrayal. Oh, there has never been love like this. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you have betrayed God through your actions, you have. If you're here this morning, and you feel like your betrayal is so bad that you can never receive forgiveness because of how you've turned your back against Jesus, that's not true. I've got very, if that's you, I've got very good news for you. Romans 3.23, a little bit after that section of no one does righteous, no not even one, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and but are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. Indeed, we all have sinned, but there is a fountain. There is a fountain filled with Jesus' blood where sinners like you and me who have betrayed him are washed, are washed white as snow. And where sinners lose all of our guilty stains. And where sinners walk away, not walk away, we dance away in freedom. Knowing that it was nothing that we could have done, but it's all Jesus. And you know what we receive? No condemnation. No condemnation. So if you've never tasted this type of freedom, if you feel like you are still weighed down by your betrayal, come to Jesus Christ to receive the forgiveness of your sins. And you can do that this morning. We invite you to do that even now. We have all betrayed Jesus. But lesson number two, temptation to betray Jesus is always lurking. Temptation to betray Jesus is always lurking, crouching at the door. Temptation, I mean, his disciples were tempted to to deny and betray, and they fell to temptation. 
And, and I love that Mark here leaves the identity of the inv- individual who runs away naked. I love that he leaves, it, leaves him as anonymous. I believe that Mark does so intentionally and purposely for the reason that he, for the reason of this, because of his betrayal, his fleeing represents not only everyone in the present in the garden, but his fleeing represents all of us. Given Mark, including this unidentified man, unidentified man invites us to examine our own readiness to abandon Jesus. This man had every intention, every intention to follow. He was excited to do so. But just as the prophecy of Amos came to pass, even the bravest, even the mightiest, even the strongest will flee away naked on that day. This could be us too. The biggest acts, oh, oh, the biggest acts of betrayal often start out as small sins that we think we can control. Sin, and I'm preaching to myself more than anybody, Sin left unchecked can lead us to do unthinkable things. The first thing we see, the first inkling that we get of Judas betraying Jesus is what? In, in John 12, his disciple, or Jesus, or somebody comes up to Jesus and, and pours expensive ointment on Jesus' feet, and Judas gets mad and says, man, what? we could have given this money somewhere else. But then we read in verse 6 what his true intentions are, It says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And in Mark 14, we read the end of it, don't we? That Judas sells out Jesus for money. Sin left unchecked leads to betrayal. I'm meeting with uh, Zach Penwell, and we're reading through John Owen's book, uh, The Mortification of Sin. And I am, a, I, am uh, I, I got the modern English version. Sorry, I couldn't decide. I just wanted to be easier. He writes in old English. So I got the modern English version, and this is what John Owen says in his book. Sin starts off small in its first temptations and activity, but once it gains a foothold in someone, it constantly presses further onward to increasing degrees of depravity. This incremental growth in the severity of sin doesn't often attract our attention, and we don't realize how much of an opening we've given it to make us fall away from God. There isn't a Christian in this world, no matter how godly or mature, who wouldn't fall into as many horrible sins as anybody did if he neglects sin-killing duty. So kill your sin. Know that temptation to betray Jesus is crouching at the door. So may we be a people. May we be a church who knows that temptation to sell out Jesus for a comfortable life is there. And to guard against it. May we be a people that know that we are either killing sin by the work of the Spirit or it is killing us individually and collectively. May we, may we be a people who know that temptation to betray Jesus in order to gain temporal treasures is there and pray against it. Oh Lord, help us to be on guard against such temptations. Oh, may, may we value Christ. May we value Christ more than anything. May we see him as our highest good and our unending 
need. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached on this, he said this, Oh, search yourselves. Turn out every cranny. Look in every corner of your soul to see whether your religion be for Christ's sake and for truth's sake and for God's sake or whether it be a profession which you take up because it is a respectable thing. A profession which you keep because it keeps you up. The Lord searches and tries and bring us to know our ways. Temptation to betray Jesus is always lurking. Number three, lest we think about ourselves as better than disciples or better than Judas or better than the Jews in this moment. We are not. Lesson number three. Jesus, our Savior, will never betray us. Jesus, our Savior, will never betray us. Just like last week, Jesus' humanity here is on full display. The mystery of the incarnation is right here in front of us. He indeed felt and he experienced betrayal from all sides. He felt the depth of what it meant to be betrayed. Take confidence in this. Knowing that our Lord knows what it's like. He knows what it's like and he's not far off. Our Savior knows what it's like for people to turn their back on him. More than you know what it's like for people to turn their back on you. Our Savior knows what it's like for people to lie to him, to mock him, and a little bit to spit in his face, to make great promises and then ultimately not come through. So when you are betrayed, bring Jesus into your struggle. If Jesus was willing to be betrayed or for you to be restored in relationship with God, there's nothing that will come to pass that will make him betray you now. If he's willing to do all of this, be betrayed on your behalf, there's nothing you can do to where he'll say, no, too much. He's too much of a sinner. He will not betray you now. So run to your sympathetic Savior when you are betrayed, knowing that he will never cast you out. Whether it be family who you thought would be there till the very end, who now have turned their back on you, whether it be a workplace that promised really good stuff and all these perks and benefits and then a month, in, a month or so in you realize this is toxic. Whether it be a spouse who has left you seemingly out of nowhere. Whether it be friends who you thought deeply cared about you but in your time of need were not there for you. Take heart with this. Jesus is always with you. No matter your faithfulness, no matter your obedience, no matter your works, no matter your feelings, Jesus promises that he is always with us, especially in our betrayal, because he knows what it's like. So he sees you. He sees you this morning. You may feel like no one else sees you. Jesus sees you. He, Jesus knows you, okay? He knows you. Don't go through the lie of life. The lie that Satan tries to tell you that, that no one cares and much less Jesus doesn't care because Jesus sees you and the church wants to see you and wants to know you. So in your betrayal, come to Jesus and find grace, find help in your time of need. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. 
I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. For your life, he bled and died. Christ will hold you fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold you fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold us fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold us fast. For our Savior loves us so. He will hold you fast. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we, number one, would know that we have all betrayed you. Lord, by your spirit, help us to come to you. Come to you when we are sinning. Come to you when we are suffering. And come to you when we are relying on ourselves. And come to you to find grace and our help. Or find grace and, time, and help in our time of need. Lord, I pray you would help us respond by your spirit. Help us, Lord, to, to, to turn away from temptation and to turn towards you. And Lord, help us to know that there is no other thing we can depend on, no other sure foundation other than you. On Christ the solid rock, we stand. Help us to sing that with full confidence and knowledge and apply that truth to our heart. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond in song. When I 